What exactly is it that they do? Take names, take ass. Yeah. Well, I guess you're about ready then, aren't you? We're your friends. We're not like the others, man. Really? No more of that talk about what the fucking leashes on you. Sit your five dollar ass down before I make change. Ernest Hemingway once wrote, The world is a fine place and worth fighting for. I agree with the second part. Hello, folks. Welcome to Kropotkin's Barbershop, a current affairs roundtable discussion podcast presented from a decidedly left-wing perspective. I'm your host, Nina Illingworth. I'm joined by my co-host, Charles Minnick, the show's producer, Adam Scriven, and creative director and scribe, Chris Walker. Now, this is a little bit awkward, given that we just released the very first real episode of Kropotkin's Barbershop about two weeks ago. So um, I didn't really want to get here in before we even cut our second episode of the show. But in last week's episode, we talked about the Cold War implications of a potential brewing conflict between Russia and Ukraine and how the ruling capitalist class in the pig empire was taking advantage of fears of that possible invasion to drum up support for a highly lucrative for some and extremely bad for the working class new Cold War. Well, unfortunately, about a week after we cut that podcast, as you'll be aware, if you haven't been living under a rock, Russia invaded How's the, rock? the Ukraine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Russia invaded <laughs> the Ukraine. And obviously, the very first thing I need to address here is that in that last episode, we repeatedly said that was a thing that is not going to happen. Now, first and foremost, I would like to take responsibility for that. Uh, uh, among our group of podcasters here at Kropotkin's Barbershop, because when we first began this discussion, we uh, preparing for the episode, we had a number of contrary viewpoints. And my viewpoint, I think, ultimately won out. So I have some responsibility for predicting that an invasion that did in fact happen absolutely would not happen. Now, in my defense, I want to be clear that strategists and leaders from Germany, France, most of NATO, Ukraine itself, many parts of the United States, all agreed with The People's Republic. Right. I I mean, this was not an obscure fringe position. A great number of people, whether they blamed Russia, whether they blamed NATO. And whether they blame like American intelligence for like crying wolf too many goddamn times. (sighs) Right. And I mean, I don't without trying to put too fine a point on it, a great number of people who knew what they were talking about said this invasion wasn't going to happen. And Joe Biden, the U.S. State Department and the CIA said it was. And given, for example, that we've never found the mobile weapons of mass destruction bans that the State Department, the president and the CIA all said existed during the Iraq war, you know, like. And this is not the only example. We can keep going. I can provide dozens and dozens and dozens Gulf of Tonkin. Right. That all the three USS of, Maine. Right. That all three of those actors, those institutions, the president, intelligence, and the military industrial complex lied about something to generate fear or manufacture consent for a war, we would be here literally all night. 
and we're not yep. going to be here all night. This is kind of a, a supplemental sort of free form chat we're going to have uh, that we're calling uh, group therapy so that we can go over and offer, as I've just done, uh, a mea culpa, an apology for leading our listeners wrong, an apology uh, for predicting an evasion wouldn't happen that did happen, which is, again, totally my fault, okay? Don't blame everybody else. That's on me. I was wrong. However, I was wrong because what Vladimir Putin is doing now is, in fact, crazy. And I think we're going to get into that a little bit more as the episode goes on. The second thing I want to yeah. say before I turn over the mic so that my co-hosts can all kind of have a word here. I don't Ooh. believe the contents of our last episode uh, of Kropotkin's Barbershop are invalidated by the events that have occurred since. I mean, sure, the prediction that Russia was not going to invade Ukraine was obviously wrong. But ultimately, you know, it is very silly to see a modern world full of billionaires, public-private partnerships, and the domination of private interests over the common good through the lens of monolithic cultures and substituting flags for people. Vladimir Putin is not Russia. Joe Biden is not the United States. Like These are obviously very, very basic concepts. Whether the Cold War is a manufactured fear to get you to spend a lot of money on weapons, or whether or not the Cold War is an actual invasion to get you to spend a lot of money on weapons, really huh. is largely We're irrelevant. Spending money on weapons. We are still in the same place. A geopolitical struggle has created a situation that is going to be worse for the labor class everywhere involved yeah. here, in Russia, in Ukraine, in the pig empire West, it's going to be worse mm -hmm. for the worker because a bunch of rich guys have decided to have a war over, as we're going to cover in a few minutes, some pretty fucking absurd pretexts. And I know Walker had something he wanted to add before we moved into the, the deep discussion of what's going on here. Yeah, the main thing is uh, I totally backed that angle that we had in the last episode. This was definitely about the domestic reaction. This was for domestic purposes. And Nina, I got to say, you had, what, 70 years worth of history backing it, uh, an assumption that there would not be an invasion. Yeah, that, that is correct. Nukes would actually play a part in that take. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I will tell you that I never once in my entire life thought that Vladimir Putin would directly imply the use of nuclear weapons. I just kind of assumed that sure. that would be an understood element, such as it is in pretty mm -hmm. much every proxy war we've fought since Korea. Right. It's yep. been like almost the one element of continuity across Russian governments all the way since like what, 1948 when they got it? Yep. Like from Stalin all the way to the Russian Federation to Putin when he took power and, you know, briefly handed it to Men Menendez for. 10 years and took it back but there was no first use they were not going to use nuclear weapons unless there were nukes in the air flying at russia and unless you were in the kremlin there's no way you could have known that vladimir putin was perfectly willing to put his finger over the button and look at the world and be like what what are you going to do about it huh ukraine is mine huh 
takers. Right. And yeah. I mean, nobody has that insight. And I, I think people also need to understand that the criticism that we provided in that episode of NATO, of Western imperial ambitions, of the capitalist colonization of Eastern Europe is no longer invalid. I just don't think there's anybody here in this podcast that thinks that's an excuse to do an invasion that as, as again, I cannot make this any more clear, okay? Rich billionaires generally don't suffer from wars until the absolute very end. It's the worker, the labor class person who is going to suffer the consequences of these actions. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm an anarcho-syndicalist. I am for labor. I am for a, a class consciousness and a class solidarity that goes beyond imaginary borders. I feel for labor class Ukrainians and labor class Russians right now. Both of them have been led to the brink of something quite disastrous by rich fucking reactionaries, many of whom are straight up fascists. And that is not just me calling Vladdy Putin a fascist. He is a fascist. So are many of our leaders. It's a whole bunch of rich fascists making decisions that are fucking over the little guy. Again, just like every goddamn world war we've ever fought. And it, it doesn't matter in a grand sense, in a moral sense, who you figure ultimately has the better cause. Like, who made you the fucking decider? Who made you the fucking decider of how many labor class people it's okay to kill so one fucking revanchist billionaire piece of shit can get the top over another one or another group of them? Who gave you that fucking right? I don't think anybody has that right. I'm not listening to you. Just again, to go back to our, our last episode a little bit, we were talking about the need for a Cold War, but you don't need a Cold War if you have a hot one. So all of their work and all of their setup was basically had the rug pulled out from under it because Putin said, you know what? These rules, I don't like them no more. I don't like where I am. I don't like having an economy the size of Spain with nukes. That doesn't seem right. So uh, fuck y'all. I think the other thing that needs to be understood is that there, there is a very polarizing image of this conflict that is cast on social media. And without getting into a bunch of drama about various name subgroups of the left online, right, I'm getting information from Russia about, you know, thousands of anti-war protesters, right? Uh, Russian anarchist groups speaking out against the invasion. Russian um, Marxist groups speaking out against the invasion. So if you're kind of in like an insular community bubble on the left online, it's very easy for you to get the idea that, that there's a, a lot of support against NATO um, and for Russia. And that's fine. But it does seem to me that there are a great number of people who've still got their eye on the ball and can't really figure out how us supporting any given revanchist billionaire or flag or nationalist formation leads to liberation. Um, Lee Carter, a former state representative from Virginia, correct me if I'm That's wrong, right. I believe he's from Virginia. He's a former state representative mm -hmm. from Virginia. Yep, Virginia. Yep. He said uh, effectively that the only correct leftist position was to hope that uh, both countries and the United States rise up in revolution to overthrow their corrupt capitalist governments that spend human life like it's nothing. 
And I, listen, you know, it's funny. It's weird. You know, I'm sure the Leninists will call that imbecilic, childish thinking. Well, I'm not really feeling listening to them right now because that makes a lot of sense to me. And picking one Mm -hmm. of two reactionary capitalist formulations in a horrifying war where none of the people who can hold up the most shining ideologies are the ones doing the suffering. Just it doesn't. It does not make sense to me. No war, but class war. All war is class war. Fundamental go. misstatement of that key point. Like, yeah, like we should be fighting a class war in the kill your masters kind of way. But these capitalists and, you know, anybody who's at the end of their strings are going to keep throwing bodies and money at these problems. And so there aren't problems anymore and they've won. That's right. Instead, climate change. Throwing, throwing money yeah instead yeah. of climate change well i mean and that's the ultimate truth right like we have we have a thoroughly unprecedented degree concentration of wealth and power in an extremely small number of hands all across the world right this is the era of the billionaire and these billionaires mm-hmm. are themselves essentially beyond the concept of a nation state they have so much influence on the politics of virtually any capitalist country. And I'd like to remind anybody listening that all of the countries in NATO are capitalist countries. Ukraine is a capitalist country. Mm-hmm. Russia is a capitalist country. And uh, obviously so are anybody listening in the West from a, a non-NATO aligned country. I mean, you are living in a capitalist nation. You are living in the era of billionaire oligarchs. I said it on Twitter you know, right. as as kind of um, uh, uh, a grim bon mod, right? But I have this crazy sure. idea. Why don't we unplug all of the oligarchs from the global economy? And then we might be cooking with some gas. But I just want to make it clear before we go any anywhere forward. It is not only possible to believe that Putin's invasion is both illegal, outrageous, unjustified and motivated by reactionary imperialist ideas, which he himself has stated, okay? So I really don't want to hear any more shit about making the guy out to be a boogeyman. The motherfucker came out and had multiple speeches where he said, yes, I am exactly that neo-imperialist boogeyman you have made me out to be, right? Like, like this guy, you know... Right, let's talk about Dugan. Right, well, I mean, again, I don't I don't know if it is necessarily a great idea to really dive into the philosophies of Alexander Dugan. Um, it is, it has always been difficult to, for me to tell how much Putin or for that matter, anyone else believes in Dugan. And, and it's important to remember that in virtually no fascist movement are the leading ideologues, actually the leaders of the movement. Like historically, right? Hitler, no, you know, right. Hitler, Hitler may have wrote Mein Kampf, but he certainly was borrowing on 30 years of anti-Semitic, um, white supremacist, uh, colonialist yeah. uh, writings. Much of it from America. Right, and he wrote that in like a like a castle, right, with a huge library. So he was had plenty of time while he was in jail, the crib. Right. Not so to put too my point on it. 
So again, if we're going to have a conversation about Alexander Dugan, I think it's important to understand that Duganism is a fascist formulation that disguises itself as neither left nor right. And that might be, that might be simple enough to say, okay, so he's a Nazi bull. Yes, he's a kind of Nazi bull. But what I want to be clear is in the last few years, Dugan's writing has changed and he started to posit a, a kind of universalist fast food theory of fascism. And as ridiculous as it may sound, kids listening at home, a lot of this comes down to, um, you know, reactionary, orthodox, or Christian nationalist religious values, right? Uh, they're anti-gay. They're misogynist. They mm-hmm. have a very strong uh, sense of nationalism, and it's a type of nationalism based both on religion and race as well as yeah. uh, the borders of a nation. So it is the perfect type of nationalism always develops into fascism. But here's the thing about Dugan's writing. It's stated in such a universal, almost quasi-humanist way. It's like a Nazi's idea of what humanism is. So it's it's stated in almost a universal quasi-humanist way, and that makes it extremely adaptable. You see elements of Duganist philosophy in the ideology animating fascist movements as diverse as the movement behind Modi in India, Trumpism in the United States, and the movement that ultimately elected Bolsonaro, which, by the way, was disguised as an anti-corruption movement, in case uh, anybody is, you know, remembering the initial excuses for the invasion of Ukraine. Those have now faded into the background, and the focus seems to be neo-Russian imperialism. Uh, you know, there are there's no such thing as Ukrainians. Ukraine has never been a nation. Weak, degenerate Stalin gave them... Yeah, he uh, had a lot to talk about in that discussion, or that speech that he gave. Like, people were expecting, like, this suave, sophisticated spy guy, and all of a sudden, Putin is like, yeah, I hate gay people, trans people, and the weak is, the West is weak to accept them as soldiers, and we're just going to roll over them because they're weak and woke. <laughs> and and, like, and oh, that's, wow, that's the a, thing. That's a choice. <laughs> weak and woke, right? This is the key to Duganism's mm-hmm. new formulation of fascism that makes it's so adaptable because it it specifies the right. exaltation of culture but it doesn't specify which culture in fact it argues that every single nation has the right to exalt its own culture at the exclusion of all others and, and literally destroying mm-hmm. and assimilating them i don't know by pogroms it doesn't really matter dugan doesn't really get into how you destroy yeah. them you don't if you're reading this fucking whack job's writing, you don't need him to tell you that that part. You, you, you'll get that figured no, out. No, fuck right? that. You're already far enough along to know he means like the people in Chechnya and Bosnia who, you know, line up for this sort of thing. But, you know, they're this is strange this, people. And this is like a weird under like the not stated patriarchy. Fasc- it's like fascism is a matrix and he's like not exactly turned the patriarchal aspects on its head, but he's like just stating their logical consequence and leaving you to fill in whatever, you know, that patriarchy is for your fucking movement, so to speak. Like I said, I want to be clear. It is impossible for me to say how much 
of an effect this ideology is having on all of these global fascist movements, both um, in Russia and um, in the United States. And I mean, let's be honest, pretty much all over the big empire. It seems like every single quote unquote Western nation has its own version of this movement. Now, I don't know that any yeah, of the these third positionism. People, right. I don't know that any of these or people. Fourth, I guess. Right. And that's the thing. Fourth positionism is just fascism. It's just worded in such a way so that yeah. everybody yeah. thinks that they will be the ones who benefit. Right. And and mm -hmm. it, and it's and it's united against this this woke, corrupt, imperialist liberalism. And if you're asking what wokeism, corruptionism, and wokeism is a made up word, but what um, recognizing yeah. that it's racism, only made up anyway. right, recognizing that racism and sexism exist. That's that's what wokeism appears so to be. So using our reaction. Right, but, yeah, it's bouncing off of our reactionary bullshit. Right, so. but, but hear me out. If you're having trouble figuring out what wokeism, corruption, and imperialism have to fucking do with each other, it, it, it's pretty fucking obvious that it's an everything to everyone fast food fascist philosophy. And that makes it extremely fucking dangerous, right? Like that gives these far right movements the ability to connect with each other ideologically while smoothing over the cultural and even religious differences that would normally keep them apart. So when, you know, I'll give yeah. you an example. I've been asking for the last 10 years watching world events, right? I've been like, how the fuck is the Israeli far right hanging out with neo-Nazis? Right? Like, it's fucking mind-boggling. Well, like, they were brought together in by their American right. I, I honestly don't think that's it. I think it's this vision of fascism that exalts culture but does not define the culture. What What does Viktor Orban respect about Israel? The fact that it's a fucking apartheid ethnostate. Its existence justifies mm -hmm. a potential Hungarian orthodox apartheid ethnostate that's what they like about israel they're still right. anti-semites they still think jews they, they still think jews should die that hasn't changed but the existence of an israeli apartheid ethnostate provides justification for what they all want at home right it's a mutual respect of asserting their own cultures right well i just between you and me okay Nothing Goebbels ever wrote, nothing Hitler ever wrote, nothing the white supremacist ideologists that influenced those guys ever wrote, ever had the potential to bring right-wing Orthodox Jews and uh, Chechenian Muslim extremists together to do a war for denazification. And I'm not saying Israel, the government has joined this. I'm talking about right-wing people in that part of the world who are actively saying yeah this is this is good this is what i support this maximalist view of cultural a monoculture dominance in each of these nationalist places traditionally large nazi mm -hmm. groups that are they're tied into nationalism and have like a cult-like features will fight each other to the death over the differences between their nations, their religions, their stupid cult beliefs. This eliminates right. They've got that plenty of religious friction. reasons to like draw knives. Dugan's philosophies eliminate that friction.
And that's what makes them dangerous. Now, what I don't want to do is have people coming away from this with the impression that I think Alexander Dugan is running a global fascist cult and has like eight world leaders with nukes in his pockets. It's not what I fucking said. They are reading his writing and seeing his formulation of a new, more robust fascism hidden as anti-corruption, hidden as anti-wokeness, hidden as anti-Nazification. And by the way, the reason that Vladimir Putin is able to get away with calling wars uh, against the Western Empire denazification is because at the end of World War II, the Western Empire welcomed the surviving Nazis into the club and has been supporting fascist governments all over the world. So I'm not saying saying it has anything to do with Putin's invasion. It honestly doesn't. But if you don't like him saying we're killing Nazis, maybe stop sending Nazis to fight him. Yeah. I'm just being honest here. Right. We didn't need to remove that qualification. So the fact is we are in situation because a ton of really super shitty capitalist reactionaries are taking advantage of an environment that's ripe for fascism. And that fascism appears to have gone completely global based at least in part on Dugan's new formulation of a muscular, machismo, culturally motivated fast food fascism. Please, folks, if that sounds like a global conspiracy to you between like 18 stonecutters in a secret room somewhere (laughs) singing songs wearing funny hats... Go back and listen to what I just fucking said. Please. I'm begging you. Right? I mean, I'm, translation exists. Words in Russian can be translated into English and many other languages for those fascists to read and maybe digest if they can rub two brain cells enough to fucking comprehend anything outside of let's go bash somebody in the fucking forehead. Let me try to build a takeaway. This is a diabolical... Hang on just one, one second, though. Yeah. I, I think we at least have to give Adam an opportunity to discuss of course. Canada and Christian Freeland yes. in relation to this. Like, I just, I don't think it would be, I don't think we'd be doing the, the topic justice without allowing Adam. Two to surprises talk. today. I'm happy now. <laughs> Go ahead, Adam. <laughs> okay. I didn't expect this, but that's wonderful. Um, uh, it's funny because an article was being shared from Christia Freeland's political beginnings, and we'll get there in a minute, Charles. I understand. It's I'm I'm building the uh, suspense before you find out who this person is uh, of, <laughs> of 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 her who early days um, uh, in Ukraine with a group of uh, at the time even more left NDP supporters up here in Canada. Uh, her and a group were in Ukraine. And even at that time, uh, the uh, KGB and um, um, mechanisms of the Soviet government were well aware of who she was and pretty much where she was whenever she was close to them. And apparently the story goes that uh, they demanded her passport and she pretty much told them to fuck off. Which is pretty badass. Right. I'm not gonna lie. You do. I'm not gonna lie. Pretty badass thing you have to do, which she did, and that led her to becoming. Uh, currently, 
Charles, the big reveal, Christian Freeland is Canada's deputy prime minister. Uh, second in line uh, only to Justin Trudeau. Her grandfather was, I'm going to air quote this because I don't believe it, air quotes unwittingly the publisher of the uh, Ukrainian propaganda magazine that the Nazis set up when they took over. Um, she has always oh, yeah. claimed that it was basically uh, do this or we'll shoot you in the head right here, which is probably true because Nazis. Um, but at sure. the same time, if you are a victim like that, I'm not sure that when the Soviets come, you run away with the Nazis. <laughs> so, huh. yes. And, yeah. But there's more. I, I oh, no, no, no. Could... There's more. There's more. Oh, yeah. I'm not done. Oh. Okay. There's more. Because uh, we cannot talk about Christopher Freeland and the Ukraine without talking about uh, literally fascism. Uh, she has pretty consistently over the course of her life been very uh, proud. Uh, I'm not sure if I could say proud of what her grandfather did during the war. That's probably wrong. Um, but um, proud well, that he un- kept them until alive. Until challenged on it. Well, until I mean, challenged this... on it. I think that's the okay, key fair. with Freeland is, yeah, is she fair. presented this all of this as national family pride. Oh, yes. Right? And national Ukrainian pride. We are, we are, we are wonderful. Um, we are wonderful went, people what? holding the the Ukrainian society together, and we are the saviors of the Ukraine. Like literally, like she participates very openly in some of these Ukrainian nationalist parades with the black flags and shit. Well, Banderites, right? Like she she has openly professed support for a number of Banderite organizations, oh. and, and that's. That that- was that that lady who like released that photo and then photoshopped it yes. to remove that banner? Right. right. We're gonna let we're gonna that let Adam get to that in a second. In the parade. Yep. Okay. Right. We're gonna yeah. let, let Adam laugh. get to okay. that in, in a second. But the key to understand right. here is Actually, that I hate to say this, this, but I haven't heard about this one. Oh, okay. Then you want me to take over? Yeah, yeah. I didn't. Why? What is this photoshopping a banner out? I didn't hear about okay. this. So here's because the there's deal. more about Freeland, but let's get into this first. Okay. So. The first thing to remember is that Christopher Freeland portrayed her grandfather, her association with various Banderite groups, her family's past in Ukraine, in the context of both family and national pride. These were things that she leaned on to break into Canadian politics. And then somebody looked. Somebody said, oh, well, those are some interesting dates to be politically active in the Ukraine. Uh, in regards to her grandfather, right? And yep. it turns out that that he's all up in Nazi shit during World War II. But even if you want to, and the, and it's totally up to you, it's your business, whether or not you think, hey, the Nazis are here and they're going to kill me if I don't publish names of local Jews yeah. in my paper, yeah. which is a thing that actually happened. Yeah. Um, me personally, I think... At the point that you're deciding to mark hundreds of other people in your community for execution, maybe you should just take the bullet if those are the options. Or run. I think I'd take the. I think I'd take the bullet. Well, or leave. Sure. 
try yeah, to I'd leave. Maybe, maybe make a go for it. I don't know, but I think at the point that you're like, help or us, loose. You know, I help. would just like make a produce a page of white noise, just random letters. Right. Yeah. Well, whatever. But I mean, at the point that you're like, help us do pogroms against hundreds of people, or we'll kill you. I'm going to say that I think you have a moral responsibility to say, okay, shoot me, you Nazi pricks. Pretty much. Um, but that's that's a judgment the audience can make. The problem is, even if you allow for the association with the actual Nazis to not be a problem, which I think is very charitable, you run into Freeland's long-term support of Banderite organizations. Stefan Bandera. Bandera? Yeah, Stefan Bandera. Google. Head of the Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists that formed in 1929 as an amalgamation of movements, including the Ukrainian, the Union of Ukrainian Fascists. Now, you can tell me those are all just words and lots of people who defend Bandera have done so. There's actually a woman who showed up on my mentions on Twitter this week to explain to me that Stefan Bandera was the moral equivalent in the Ukraine to Malcolm X in the United States. And I, I think you have to understand- I'm sorry, that, what? <laughs> right, you, you have to understand that this is an organization that engaged in various atrocities, including mass murder of civilians, most of whom were ethnic Poles and a great number of whom were Jews. They also exterminated a ton of Romani people. Um, I'm not going to say the mm -hmm. racist term for the Roma, but yeah. you know what, right? So yeah. these are these are yeah. state stateless people essentially. They massacred. They massacred mm -hmm. Poles. They massacred yeah. Jews. We're talking about a militia organization that literally did fucking Nazi pogroms after no, no. the Nazis were gone okay. and before. Well, okay, so this yep. actually seems like a really good place for me to take over and add some more Canadian context. Um, specifically, and I'm going to completely destroy all of this uh, pronunciation, there are two separate um, monuments to the uh, military saviors of the Ukraine war heroes in Canada who have been made, who are, who, who were created or which were created specifically to honor this division that Nina is talking about. Yeah. They were literally and... a Ukrainian Galassian division of the Waffen SS. I'm curious. They were not, the... they were not wannabe Nazis or neo-Nazis. They were literal, actual SS Nazis. I, I, I just want to be clear, okay? Card records carrying. From, Card records, carrying. From this, records from this time period are a little hard to come by, but casualties in these mass pogroms, the massacres specifically, are rated at between 80 and 100,000 Poles and 10 to 15,000 Ukrainians. God. So these guys were pretty good at and being... And those are the bothers, the numbers that they just recorded, because, again, they were following that Nazi program, yeah. too, and just wiping out not just their ethnic enemies, but, you know, everybody who just was, like, crashing at the end of the village because they don't have a home and passing through or... Yeah, anyone are, who looked gay, uh, anyone right. who was trans, anyone who was the wrong shade of 
beige. Right. Now, there are a number of different historical Ukrainian nationalist militias with records of mass murders, political violence, uh, close association with the Nazis. Um, you know, whether you want to call them Nazis, neo-Nazis, fascists, like whatever term floats your boat, these guys are obviously it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is important to understand that we tend to lump all of these groups together under a term called Benderite because the vast majority of them either directly took orders from Bandera or view him as an inspiration for their more modern formulations of these same fascist militias. Uh, now, I want to be uh, clear. Like fucking not, as of battalion having his picture and they're drinking, huh? Right. Not all of these these groups are in Ukraine. <laughs> Benderites mm-hmm. are spread all over about half of Europe. There are pockets here and Trinket. there. Yeah. yeah. This is quite a very popular... Their presence wasn't welcomed in Ukraine after the war. Right. <laughs> now, and here's the other thing I want you to understand about it, because, like, we're not... Again, I said this right from the hop. Vladimir Putin has conducted an illegal invasion uh, along neo-imperialist and, let's be honest, fascist cultural lines. It does not matter if he claims he's there to denazify Ukraine. That is an utterly ludicrous campaign. Sending the Chechnyans and the Russian Orthodox Army to denazify the Azov Battalion (laughs) is like... That's not happening. I actually can't even explain it. It's almost like Franco declaring a war against Germany to denazify Vichy France. It just it. What is it, what movie is that meme from? The <laughs> Let Them Fight meme. Right. Uh, oh, Aliens versus Predator. <laughs> okay. Right? Yeah. Right. But but just to be clear, the uh, the last thing you have to know, okay, and this is very important to when we were talking about the Western propaganda manufacture of consent. And yes, Vladimir Putin has his own propaganda organization. The Vladimir Putin in Russia manufactured consent for the invasion in Ukraine. It was a manufacturing consent focused on not only Russia, but countries all over the world to help create room for this invasion to happen. But also, all of the people on TV screaming, there are no Nazis in Ukraine, have Google. You can Uh, find out everything you need to know about Stefan Bandera and Banderites and the Azov Battalion in the Ukraine with a simple Google search. So I refuse to believe... It turns out it's free and easy. Right. I refuse to believe that these people have never Googled this. They are actively lying to you, just as Vladimir Putin is actively lying to you when he says that he's doing a defensive invasion to denazify Ukraine. And by the way, there is no fucking such thing as Ukraine. Weak, degenerate Stalin gave it away. Ukrainians aren't even people. They're not even a real people. They're just different kinds of Russians, right? Like... It, it, it doesn't, one doesn't justify the other. Everybody involved here is kind of a piece of shit, except the the, the labor class people who are suffering the most. Yeah, the, except the, the workers getting who, killed, like right, always. Right, the people who rent an apartment in Kiev, the 19-year-old Russian soldier who honestly thought he was on a training exercise until about a week ago. Right, those are the people hurting. Right. The Russian grandmother 
who woke up this morning to find that the ruble had been purposely collapsed and everything she had saved is gone. It's gone. Right. It and she's getting much how her grandson is getting killed in a war. Right. Like, you know, these are the people suffering. So I, it's not about justifying one side or the other, but, you know, it, it's about the ludicrous propaganda. You know, I, I mean, right. I'll be honest with you. I, I want to get this point in before we finish this episode. Vladdy Putin sounds like fucking Donald Rumsfeld. Defensive invasion. Yeah, a lot like we, it. We will be welcomed as liberators. We're there to denazify Ukraine. Do you uh, remember debathify? Debathification. Yeah. <laughs> Iraq. Like, so, I mean. Yeah, and, and, I'm and, a child to go find the Bathist. Oh, and God, what sorry. amazes so, me anyway. is that there are actually people who purport to be on the left arguing that this guy is engaging in some profound act of anti-imperialism. Oh. And I'm saying, like, literally, the motherfucker sound like Donna Rumsfeld. Okay. Like, if you're, yeah, he's trying to do a whole new era of imperialism. If your anti-imperialism ever fucking sound like Donald Rumsfeld, I think you did that shit wrong. I think you just did that shit wrong. Yeah, it I, might think, be. I think you need to Close go back to the beginning. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. touch yeah. fucking grass. Touch <laughs> go, grass. Go inside. <laughs> Read another book, like any other book. Well, if I may, it, it's it's even a little more than that because I'm not sure. There's a lot of armchair foreign foreign policy experts that would have you think that hey, they know what degrees. they like. They think right. they know what Putin is going to do next. Yeah, he's well, unpredictable. I, I mean, yeah. I, I, I think yeah, it's, it's safe to say... It's an irresistible lure, right? I think it's safe to say I, I personally got out of the predicting Vladdy Putin business about a week ago. It turns out <laughs> turns out I wasn't particularly good at it. Right. That's okay. Nobody else I mean, was. what are you supposed to do? The, the fucking spy master who's like enigmatic riddle fucking smirk that he's carried for 40 fucking years. Somebody was going to piece that together. I'm sorry. Do you have access to his phone records, the private camera, and to like one of his fucking mansions with military security around it. I doubt it. No. Right. I mean, yeah. you know, and I've, like I said, I've, I've never been in the supporting fascist billionaires uh, business. That's not Fuck something no. I do. So, so that, that was never what this is about. You can go back and listen to our podcast. I think you will find that I referred to Putin as a fascist billionaire back then too. Nothing has particularly mm-hmm. changed. Um, if you go you know, back to my the, old podcast, you'll find it there too. I, I, I mean, at the end of the day, folks, nobody promised you that every war was going to result in somebody that it was going to be easy to root for. Um, and, you know, if you're a labor class Right, we're person, not all rooting for the uh, Mujahideen this time. Right, well, I'm just saying, and, and, and if you're like, you know, uh, a labor class person, um, you pretty much, all, all you pretty much got is is to root for peace, right? Yeah. Like, that, that's, yep. that's us. We Burn do, your draft card. We do better without big wars. Big wars disrupt everything about not only left-wing organizing, but labor class life. They cause right? workers Economic pain. Economic flexibility. Yeah. You, you know, and I just, like, I just want to get this out of the way because I guess this is the logical place to put this. I don't know who's out there listening. I don't know how you identify yourself politically. I concede that I have never particularly liked the way liberals use the word tanky. So I don't know if there's any Ofcoms listening or there's any Leninists listening. 
But at the end of the day, what I, I want you guys to ask yourself, if if you're out there supporting this, and I want to be clear, it's not all communists. I know a ton of trots, you know, Trotskyists, and absolutely <laughs> none of them think any of this is fucking good. Like, none of them. It is okay. a uniform position amongst internationalist communists who read Trotsky that this is all fucking terrible. So I'm speaking to people who identify as Leninists and are supporting this invasion because they see it as a way to harm NATO. I want to ask you if the reason you're cheerleading for a billionaire fascist conducting an illegal invasion isn't because you do not believe that we are capable of revolution here in the West and you are hoping that Vladdy Putin is going to take out the pig empire for you, which will then allow you to watch it come tumbling down, participate in a successful revolution. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm not trying to insult you. I'm asking you to legitimately ask yourself that question. And I, the same goes for stupid fucking anarchists that are like, oh, sure. well, obviously we need to be friends with boot boy fascists because they've got all the guns. At the end of the day, are you not just asking the strong reactionary nut job with a gun to do the hard work of revolution for you? If the answer you come back with is yes, I need to remind you that every single time the left has any portion of the left has ever bought into that, in the end, once the fascist gets control and eliminates its quote-unquote democratic opposition, they kill you. They kill yep. the leftists. They fucking wipe you them out. It's a purge. You can't you, outsource revolution. To a fascist. Right. There's no like, you got to be fucking kidding there's me. A, there are any number of books that you can read about, like, the history of sponsored, quote-unquote, revolutions all over the world. Like, the West has made so many, like, cotton cottage industries out of it, and they have never gone well. Like, so expecting Vladimir Putin to affect, one, a revolution in a bigger country that he couldn't untangle from economically if he was, like, begging in front of the UN General Assembly to do so, to fucking foment a revolution that he wouldn't want anyway because he couldn't control it. He can control military operations in Ukraine. He can send those fucking Chechen warlords to die in, to uh, Ukrainian bullets to, you know, make the world a slightly better place. But, you know, he couldn't control a revolution, so he has no fucking interest in it. So move on with your fucking ideology and theory. Straight up, I think a lot of these people's approach to foreign policy is fucking underpants gnomes. <laughs> right? From, from like, fucking South Park, right? It's like, step one, support <laughs> any alternate imperial power to the United States. Step two, awkward silence. Step three, revolution. Right? And it just, it doesn't... It, it doesn't math. Uh, revolu <laughs> revolutions happen because of organizing. Organizing is something that happens at home in the communities around you. It has absolutely nothing to. All right. So what are Americans supposed to be doing? What's, what's the next step? I know there's, there's not Russians or Ukrainians in the audience. At least I don't think so. There's going to be Americans as part of our audience. What are we going to do? Well, I mean, it's imperative, right? As it always has been, perhaps even more so, uh, as a slight tangent. If you go back and look at the carbon footprint of World War II, it didn't, you know, send the world in a good direction. So just as right. it was and a week ago, the labor class imperative is to end this fucking war because Russia's not making these problems better. 
by starting up another one and forcing everybody to use how much fucking jet fuel time and energy not fucking tackling these goddamn problems. Sorry, go ahead, Nina. No, well, as the, the resident person who doom scrolls through environmental studies, I can tell you that the world we are living on now is in no position to survive a nuclear exchange that will drive climate crisis into something resembling climate apocalypse almost immediately. And although this does require me to estimate a little bit, my guess is you can say the same thing for a world war, right? A conflict mm -hmm. that, that lasts years and years and years, draws multiple countries in, has the kind of arsenals that like United States, Russia, various NATO powers, even Ukraine, absolutely none of this is any good for a planet on the brink. And I, I find it truly astounding that it was only a few years ago, scientists looked us dead in the face and said, hey, we've got 12 years to save the world. And the rich guys just shrugged and they went right on to doing oil and gas wars, which, you know, regardless of the neo-imperialist rhetoric and the fascist ideology underpinning the maneuvers Putin has made here, at the end of the day, both NATO's interest in Ukraine and Russia's uh, interest in preventing Ukraine from becoming part of NATO are about oil, gas, and the distribution of fossil fuels. Things that are literally fucking killing us all. Right. And, like, if you, again, as an American leftist or labor class person, uh, I mean, just can, there's a little bit of good news and some bad news and some terrible insomnia associated with all of this. Good. That Chechen warlord who, uh, rounded up LGBTQ people in Russia, died to a Ukrainian bullet, and made the world a better place. Bad, again, the climate crisis isn't getting better. We're all going to die if this shit doesn't stop, so maybe call your senator, burn your draft cards if they try to distribute them, and uh, the insomnia. That guy's still holding his finger over the button. None of, us, none, of, none of what we're talking about is going to change that, but, you know, we're not sleeping better for it. Right. Well, I mean, I think ultimately what you're talking about is uh, class solidarity based organization against the machine, against uh, a global billionaire class that has put us all on the brink. And that includes fascist billionaire warlords doing an invasion. That also includes pig empire Western fascism which supports a capitalist extractivist model in which it is okay for some people to endure slavery, for some people to be killed, so that a very small number of billionaires at the top can make more money. And at the end of the day, from a right. labor class perspective, that's what this conflict is. It's, it's, it's that same phenomenon we see in capitalism writ large, right? Regular people it's okay for them to die so that other people can get rich. And, and so, right. listen, I don't want to be too idealistic or too simplistic, but it is very clear yeah. that if, if we're going to state this as simply as possible, the imperative remains revolution. Right? Yeah. There, is, there, is, there is literally nothing short of overthrowing an imperialist, reactionary, often fascist, billionaire class that's going to get us out of these fossil fuel wars and the, the water and and arable land wars haven't even begun 
Like, don't kid yourself when when Candace Owens says things like invade Canada. Like, these are totally alien concepts. We are soon going right. to see these exact same kind of conflicts happen over water. In fact, I'll be honest with you, um, some of this conflict may be over who can or cannot supply water to the Crimean Peninsula, which is disputed. It was part of Ukraine and uh, is, is now occupied by Russia and may be something that's fueling this conflict. So we may be watching one of the early water wars at the same time as we're seeing a fossil fuel war driven by a reactionary, like I said, fast food fascist ideology. And is it the water war? The, wa- the water war has actually been confirmed already over Crimea, as far as I've heard, because as soon as uh, Russia laid claim to and rolled into Crimea, Crimea's only source of water is a canal that starts deeper into Ukraine. And as soon as Russia put up their tent and said that they're not leaving, uh, Ukraine filled up the canal so it doesn't have water in it, in it anymore. Yeah, I, I believe... In a recent video I watched, I was told that their water reservoirs were at seven percent in that area. Yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, me is dry. Right. And hurting obviously, because of this. Obviously, we're not looking out to to game out the reasons why this war is happening. There's a lot of foreign policy co- podcasts. There's a lot of war dork podcasts that are going over all of these variables. What we're mostly focused on here is what the question that that uh, Charles sought to answer, which is what Walker asked, what can the working class in the pig empire do? What should our goal be? And I really wish I had something better to tell you, but as long as, you know, sociopathic, revanchist, reactionary, fascist billionaires run everything, people who have zero concern for human life, these kinds of atrocities, these kinds of tragedies, whatever you want to call it, are going to continue happening. Yep. And only get worse. And only get worse. I got to, I feel like my question interrupted your story about Freeland a little bit. Uh, Please uh, share the rest of that story because it it was unfinished. I've looked up uh, the story of this flag thing and this is wild. And being a Canadian, not having heard about this, this is extra batshit crazy wild because uh there is i'm literally right now looking at this photograph of my deputy prime minister holding a objectively nazi flag like an objectively ukrainian nationalist flag and i i don't know kind of how to feel about that that's really batshit crazy and she thought that she could make it go away by slipping in another picture Right. And and to be clear, when he says Ukrainian nationalist, he he's literally means a, a Banderite flag, a flag associated with a Banderite organization that participated in pogroms at a minimum against Poles. Probably also Jews, but at a minimum against Poles. If you look at the new picture she used, you can see a red and black flag, uh, that Ukrainian nationalist flag being waved by hand in the background as well. Never That's actually awesome. gone. Yeah, and she I'll, always took a step away from it. And I'll be honest with you, those flags are visible in the pictures the Western media is sharing from protests in Ukraine. They're visible from the pictures the Western media is sharing in protests from um, Canada, United States, the United Kingdom, 
uh, there are always a significant number of those black and red Banderite nationalist flags, which again are objectively associated with fascist militias. Yeah, well, it doesn't matter if you want to say the people waving that flag, that's not what they mean. That's your personal interpretation. Objectively, those flags are associated with Banderite fascist militias. The only place I've seen a protest in support of Ukraine where I haven't seen those flags is at the embassy in Russia. Russians did not pull out Nazi Ukrainian flags Shocking to protest no. the war in Ukraine. Right. And I yeah. want to say shout out to Russians for maintaining some level of moral decency, um, you know, and not choosing to support fascists because you disagree with an illegal invasion, which again, I am with you 100% on that. But uh, yeah, the only place I have not seen those black and red nationalist flags is in Russia at the Russian protests at the Ukrainian embassy in Russia. Okay. My takeaways is fascism is this. There's a new diabolical form of fascism. Vladimir Putin Nobody knows what he's going to do next, and the best thing we can possibly do is start organizing it in some form or another. We can't expect the big bads with guns to save us. Uh, we're going to have to affect what's going on with mass numbers. Um, does that sound like uh, the big takeaway here? Yeah, I think you nailed it. Yeah, well, yeah. only you can save yourself and your material conditions. You can't depend on anybody else. Look to your neighbors and build a community. We can depend on each other in the labor class. That's mm-hmm. why we want yeah. to organize and build solidarity. Yeah. Look well, to you your cannot, neighbors, build a community. You, you cannot depend on public figures who are profiting from and benefiting from a genocidal extractive system targeting your class of people to suddenly start caring whether or not you live or die when the ICBMs start flying, because they don't. They don't care whether you live or die now. They're certainly not going to change their opinion about that because of a war in Ukraine. And yep. I think with that, uh, we covered pretty much everything we needed to talk after talk about after that last episode. So Yeah, we really talked it out. Hope everybody feels better. Absolutely. I do. I personally feel a great deal better. So I guess it's time to say goodnight, folks. See ya. Good night, folks. Good night. Ciao. War is a continuation of politics by other means. Von Clausewitz. I think, uh, sir, that what he was actually trying to say was a little more complicated. (laughs) 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 Yes, the purpose of war is is to serve a political end, but the true nature of war is to serve itself. I'm very impressed. (laughs) In other words, the sailor most likely to win the war is the one most willing to part company with the politicians and ignore everything except the destruction of the enemy. You'd agree with that? I'd agree that uh, that's what Clausewitz was trying to say. But you wouldn't agree with it? No, sir. (laughs) No, I, I just think that in the nuclear world, true enemy can't be destroyed. Attention on deck. 
Von Clauschwitz will now tell us exactly who the real enemy is. <laughs> Von? <laughs> in my humble opinion, in the nuclear world, the true enemy is war itself. 